0: All right. So please take your seats. Calm down. It's awesome. Man, you know what? I just. My next sermon that I just love prayer, though. Just love when we come together as the body of Christ and we pray, we go to the altar, we lift things up together. There's just something two or more gathered. I am in your midst. It's just so powerful to me. You know, and, uh, and don't you agree that, that, that when we say, all right, get up and say hello to somebody, you just want to like go to everybody and, and you're all fired up and the electricity is just running because the Holy Spirit's moving. It's good stuff. So praise God for that. That we can come together as a fellowship, especially in a country that allows it. Amen. Amen, right? Maybe we don't amen that enough, right? Uh-huh. So, all right, so as brothers and sisters in Christ, There's something that we're all faced with, something that we're called to do by God, something that really comes with the territory, so to speak. And it's something that doesn't really change depending on what country you live in, where in the world you live. Your circumstances may change, but in essence, what we're instructed to do doesn't change. And simply put, it's living our life in Jesus Christ. It's following God's will as we make choices going forward. It's truly loving the Lord by obeying His commands. Staying on a path of righteousness by choice. Many times we would call this walk in the walk, right? Walking a Christian walk. But in the word of God, many times it's referred to as running the race. And when we start saying that, running a race, it gives us this picture, this analogy, or, you know, that we can relate to, especially if you run any track. You know, your feet are in the blocks, you're waiting for the gun to go off, you can't wait to go, bang, and you're out of there. And you can feel, I can still feel the stomach turning, waiting for that noise to go off. You know. But there's a difference here between what I envision with that and the example. Because our race begins when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it's really referring to a marathon, not a sprint. And maybe I should, could even say a marathon that, with a touch of obstacle course in the way. And this is a reference running the race that Paul often uses. And he viewed his life as running a race for, with Christ Jesus as the prize. And refers to it several times and he gives insight to us, gives an insight then to what is required to run, how to run, responsibilities of running. Gives us warnings about running. And there's a lot for us to glean And when he was sharing with the Corinthian church, Paul says this about how he runs the race. 9.22 says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessings. Don't you realize that in the race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. So it's obvious here that he's making comparison between an athlete being physically prepared and a Christian being spiritually prepared, spiritually fit, ready for the obstacles, for the attacks that try to hinder our forward movement. Try to get us to detour off of godliness. Moving towards worldliness. And before we go on, I want to give you another example of what I'm talking about here. And not spiritually prepared, it's like going and standing in the surf and when the wave comes, it just knocks you down. And you get back up and when the next wave comes, It knocks you down. You know, I'm speaking about Christians, a lot of times give the enemy a foothold in their life. They let ungodly things rage in their minds. They'll allow themselves to be amused mentally, physically, emotionally. And for some of them, it's so bad that when they get knocked down, they don't start thinking about getting up until they can't breathe anymore. And when they get up, they get a mouthful of dirt, maybe some bumps and some bruises. And then they start the cycle all over again and repeat the process. This is very different than a Christian who is spiritually prepared. Because when you're spiritually prepared and you're standing in the surf, guess what? The waves are still coming. No one said the waves weren't coming. Matter of fact, the Bible says the waves are coming. Be prepared, the obstacles are coming. Be prepared. But when you're spiritually prepared and you're standing on the surf, standing in the surf, and that wave comes, when it hits you, it breaks like it's breaking on a rock. And there's no damage. Why? Because you're you're ready. The person who was standing there was spiritually ready for what was coming. This is what Paul's talking about. It's like working out in the spiritual gym, getting spiritually fit to run the race, to, to compete regardless of what comes your way. And it's kind of sad because our whole society is all about physical fit. All right. You got all these ads on that shows you what's going to kill you disease wise and all these other ads that show you what you got to do to lose weight and stay healthy. Watch TV for 10 minutes, you're sick of it already. But unfortunately for some Christians, they end up letting the spiritual go. For some reason, they stop paying attention to being spiritually fit, to do the spiritual things that God, we're going to go over, that God instructs us to do. They stop paying attention and they let it go. And you know when they pay attention? When they're in the water, sucking sand, and they can't breathe anymore. Because all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, where should I be? Oh, i got to go back to Jesus Christ. And we go back. Doesn't mean we're not saved. Doesn't mean we're not a child of God. Just means we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We're paying the consequences for it. <clears throat> These are the ones that get knocked over and they have a hard time recovering. Because they're not spiritually ready. For Paul, he kept his eyes fixed on Christ. For for him, certain things were absolutely crucial to him running the race. And one of those things was discipline. He knew that to stay on course, you had to be disciplined. Disciplined. And he makes a comparison to the preparation of the athletes who were going to compete in the games, and this one is Isthmian games. And the Greek athlete would just discipline their body in order to win. And Paul was talking about this and he's talking about self-denial when it comes to wants and desires of the physical, to a rigid discipline that doesn't allow one to give into the flesh, but rather to follow the spirit of God. This is the discipline that for the Christian, stops us from following the other trinity, me, myself, and I. This discipline sets our minds on the kingdom of God. And instead of the body telling what our mind what to do, Paul, like an athlete in training, is making his body a slave to righteousness. In his renewed mind, He's making his body do what's right. It wasn't about feeding the flesh. It was about starving the flesh. It was about bolsting the spiritual. And it was something that he continually worked at as he ran the race. And listen, I want to make a point here. You know, we sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And we're not. But don't be afraid that fear is going to rear its ugly head again in a different situation. But we know who to go to because we're not a slave to it. We rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. Same thing with the struggles. They're going to come up. Doesn't mean that they're gone. You can be delivered and have a problem again, but not always. When they came up, you beat them down in the power of God and let the Lord do the battling for you. That's one of the things that people don't understand. When we say we're no longer a slave to fear, it doesn't mean we're never going to have fear. Just what do you do with it when you get it? You don't let it control you. You control it through the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul sees these things as crucial to staying the course. He ran with purpose. He says every step, he's paying attention to what he's doing. And you know why? Because he was concerned. He was concerned about running to the best of his ability. He was concerned in running in a worthy, honoring manner, honoring and glorifying God. And in verse 27, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That's a huge statement. And it doesn't make sense to think that Paul is talking about disqualification in terms of eternal salvation because of many statements he made in Romans and Ephesians, 2 Corinthians concerning a new creation and being justified and declared righteous. Paul went above and beyond to practice what he preached so that he would not find himself disqualified before men. He was concerned about running a race in a way that was not righteous and that his actions might be brought against the gospel that he was preaching, that people would not believe him, that people would disapprove of him, that he would have a testimony that caused him to be an ineffective witness for Christ. And he was concerned about this. In the ESPN games, the athletes were examined to see how they performed. And if they did not meet the standard, if they did not meet the rules, they were out. They were disqualified. They were gone. He was concerned. And so he went above and beyond make sure that he practiced what he preached. He understood that this race lasted the whole time we're on this earth. That it would be a race of endurance, it would be a race of perseverance, of spiritual readiness and discernment. And that the obstacles were going to come. And Paul explains as we're living this life, as we're running this race, who we should follow, who we should emulate, who we should copy, and he also explains who we shouldn't. And he gives clear warnings to the Philippian church. And he says this in Philippians three fourteen: I press on to reach the end of the race and receive a healthy prize. Excuse me, heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you would disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we are already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So he's telling them follow someone that you know is righteous, who's doing who's on the right pattern, on the right path, with Jesus Christ, his eyes fixed on Christ. And then he goes on in verse 18. He says, This for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. There are, there are many who conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as Savior. Listen, he's speaking about people in the church And he's saying there are those in the church who are talking a good game. But when you really look at their actions, it shows where their relationship with Jesus really is at. And he could be speaking about proclaiming Christians who are Jews, who are still leaning on the law for salvation here. But most commentators believe he's speaking about Christians who are using their freedom in the wrong way who are giving into the desires of the flesh and not always submitting to the spirit. And he's warning them, don't pattern your life after these individuals. Don't copy their actions. Listen, it's often that we have struggles of our own and we want to get down and play in the mud. It's worse if there's someone inside of you in the church who's already playing in the mud and wants to come alongside you and drag you down with them. You see, because when we have those wants and desires to do that, we have a tendency to tolerate. We have a tendency to look at people and go, oh, I know they're doing the wrong thing, but we want to cut them slack. We want to sugarcoat. What's Paul calling them here? Enemies of the cross. Would we say that? No. No. I'm sorry, we wouldn't say that. We would shy away from saying that. That's too strong of language. Paul's calling them enemies of the cross. And the best thing here is he's making it so black and white because he's not talking about helping them. He's talking about those who are not enemies of the cross staying away from them and making it clear that they're not doing the right thing. <laughs> This is something that we have to be on guard against in the body of Christ. Those who proclaim to be Christian and then they live this lifestyle of self. Maybe they are running a race, but it's certainly not one of faith. Most likely one of self glorification and accomplishment. They even may pitch the Lord a bone every so often. See, they go and they, they do all this stuff and they're running this race and it's all about them. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. When nothing they ran for had anything to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with souls being saved, nothing to do with planting seeds, nothing to do with eternal salvation. And they get to the end and they go, Well, thank you, Lord, and everybody milks. What was that race for? Be careful. Paul is warning about these people. And listen, we know they may be the most likable people in the world, but it doesn't mean they're not enemies of the cross. And if you follow them, they will lead you in the wrong way. So pay attention and start running. To Paul, these things were critical. So we know so far that... We have to be spiritually disciplined to run the race effectively. We should make sure that we are running the race for Christ in Christ with our eyes fixed on Christ. And not a race of selfishness with spatterings of godly praises here and there. Should always ask ourselves the race that we're running doesn't involve the gospel. Doesn't involve Jesus Christ. Does it involve eternal salvation? Is it focusing on anything that has eternal benefit or is the race we're running have no eternal benefit at all because then it's not a race of faith? And to help us to stay in the race we need to be in, we've got to be careful who we're copying. We have to be aware of who we're hanging out with. Not everyone who claims to be Christian is living righteously. So we have to ask ourselves what are we doing? Be safe and follow Paul's examples and those who are walking righteously. We know that the race that we run has many obstacles. It may not be smooth, the road and the Lord, but we know that the Lord's going to give us everything we need to continue to run forward. He will strengthen us in our weakness. He will show us the turns to avoid. He will strengthen us in the face of temptation, a promise. He will give us a way out of temptation, a promise for Christians. So well, as Christians, we should expect the hindrances, should expect the bumps in the road, should expect those who would come against us. Listen, we should expect to be hated. I talk to people and they get so upset when someone hates them because they're a Christian. The Lord said, expect it. You're going to hate us because they hated him. The world hated him. But unfortunately for some people, as soon as they run into that Hatred and that persecution, they stop talking about Christ. Listen, don't glorify them, glorify God. Persecution is something that we're going to run into. Persecution, I talk to people now in their workplaces, they hit persecution. People don't like Christianity. They don't like Jesus Christ. And the author of the book of Hebrews, he was speaking to an audience of Jews who had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he was encouraging them because they were coming under attack. They were being persecuted by the unbelieving Jews because they turned up the heat. They turned up the pressure. They wanted them to renounce Christ. They wanted them to go back to the temple. They wanted them to return to the sacrificial system. And some of these guys started buckling because the pressure was on. And in Hebrews 12, 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what said to that audience. And listen, we can relate to them because to them there was this pulling going on and this persuading going on and maybe even this nudging going on because the people wanted them to return to their way of life, wanted them to go back. They were being tempted. And the same thing happens to us because The world wants us to go in the opposite direction. The temptations pop up. If we're hanging with the wrong people, they want to draw us in their direction away from Jesus Christ to return. Listen, we are new creations, but the stuff that we used to do, the enemy knows what we like said this before he knows the Christmas paper that we like the color the bow the ribbon and when he wraps the package when he wraps the temptation it appeals directly to us and he knows it and in our old life he knows what we did and so he sets it out there and he wants to draw you back he wants to draw you in to what you used to be and you're not that anymore so we don't go there we don't fall for that and this audience, he's encouraging them, don't look backwards, run the race. In the Hebrews, it's clear that when we run the race, we live for the Lord. We need to shed all unrighteousness. We need to throw off all sin. You know, when I say this stuff, shed all unrighteousness, throw off all sin, these are choices. These are choices that we are making. And if you're not choosing to do that, you reap what you sow. If you're not choosing to do that, there's consequences. If you're not choosing to do that, don't whine. Sorry, that's hard, but that's true. If you refuse to say no in the power of God and proclaim to be a Christian, what is that? And the beauty of that is we can say no in the power of God. We could say no in the power of God. Amen. <laughs> so these are choices that we make. We, take, we ought to take the righteous action in our own life to say no to choose Jesus as opposed to desires. Relationships that we know are li- people who are living righteously. Are you getting the picture about being in spiritual shape, spiritually disciplined, making the right choice? If we think we can play in sin and feed the desires of the flesh, and put the spiritual on the back burner, and then run this race in a godly manner, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you think you can play in the sin and feed the desires of the flesh, put the spiritual on the back burner, and be an effective witness for 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 Christ, it's not going to happen. Be like running with a parachute on your back. With a lot of effort in and not going very far. And then the first gust of wind comes up, blows you back 30 yards. Sounds like a great soccer exercise, though. <laughs> I'll talk to you, coach. All right. Listen, he- Hebrews is clear on how we run. We're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. I think many of us know that. We look ahead, we fix our gaze upon the Lord, but... They they know this, but they don't do this. We're not to be distracted. We're not to look to the left, to the right. We're supposed to look straight ahead and keep running. We're not even supposed to look at the ground that we already covered behind us. We're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, because once we start looking this way, we start bearing that way. And this is part of the training, fixing your eyes on Christ. See, if we're not spiritually disciplined, our body is going to dictate our mind what to do. And we want to be the other way around. We want to be spiritually uh, spiritually disciplined, and we want to know with a renewed mind that this is what we need to do, and we're going to force ourselves to do it. And that's like one of the comparisons with an athlete who wants to stay up all night but forces himself to go to bed at 9 o'clock because he knows he's going to run a 26-mile race the next day. Or an athlete who really has an appetite and a desire for that whole pepperoni pizza with olives half anchovies. But he knows he can't have that because it's not going to fuel his fire for the next day. So he has to do what he, his regimen is. That's where you need to be. We need to follow those who are righteous. We follow Jesus and fix our eyes on him because he's the perfect example of faith. He's the one giving out the rewards at the finish. Christ is both the ultimate example and our destination. said Paul refers to the race several times and this is a coming to the end of his life. And he's writing this Timothy, he says 2 Timothy 4.6, he said, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and, at the time for my depart- and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The wording here that he chooses is very telling for us today. And we have spoken about the race being like a marathon on a path, and certainly you know, with tons of obstacles, but it can also be viewed as a battle. And when he says, I have fought the good fight, the Greek word for fight is agonizomai. And it means to engage in conflict, whether it's competing in athletic games or a military battle. And we have to remember at this point, Paul's chained to a Roman soldier. So maybe he had the latter in mind. And he fought the good fight. He fought it against what? He fought the good fight against evil. And that's why he disciplined his body. That's why he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. That's why he made sure that he was spiritually prepared. Because he knew the attacks were coming. He knew that during the race, evil was going to rear its ugly head. And he didn't want to give it a foothold. And he wanted to be ready for the conflict. Listen, today I'm hoping that the Lord, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your own race. Maybe he's put a spotlight on it and he's pointing out to you whether you're running a race for him or for you. Maybe you have been running a race. Maybe there's been plenty of obstacles. Maybe it's been a battle and you're tired and you're coming to a point when you're thinking about stopping or calling it quits. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by the obstacles that you face. I want you to be encouraged because you're not alone. I want you to be encouraged because you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, is there. He's not over there. He's here. To fix your eyes back in him, back on him, and he'll strengthen you. Today, after maybe we've said all this, that you're becoming aware that you are following somebody whose, has, whose pattern speaks to being an enemy of the cross and not a Christian. Recognize unrighteousness. Don't tolerate it. Really good news today is this. Being spiritually prepared is not rocket science. It's faith. It does begin with fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. But how do you run the race? And the obvious and the first one is you read the word of God. You read the Bible and one of the commentators said, and I couldn't remember who it was after I wrote the stone, so forgive me for that. One of the commentators said this, to focus on the word of God is to have the Son of God come more into focus. What a great saying. John 5.39 said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you'll have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. If you are always getting into the word of God and reading it, you will be drawn to Jesus Christ. Your eyes will be fixed on Christ. And then we're supposed to pray. In Matthew twenty six forty one, it says, Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We press into our Lord and Savior because it's his strength that's going to get us through. We press into our Lord and Savior because when we stand in the surf, we want him with us. So that wave's breaking over us, not breaking us. Can't do it on our own. It's in his strength that we're going to be able to stay in the righteous path. Our wants and our desires are always going to try to dictate what it wants us to do. And it's certainly not going to be pray and it's certainly not going to be open the word of God. And when people are struggling, they always say, I don't feel like it. I don't want to open the word of God. I don't want to. That's when you should. And we know that. We don't want to give the enemy a foothold when things are going terribly wrong. We need to jump in the word. We need to fall on our face. We need to go to the altar. We need to lay it it down for Jesus Christ and plead our case and pound on the throne room doors. Because he wants us to come to him. We're never alone. We have to be especially discerning about what people say, what they do, who we hang out with. We have to be careful of who we're allowing to speak into our lives. Who's setting our path before us, God or some good friend? Galatians 1.6 said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live by grace in Christ, in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen, that's something that's prevalent today, twisting of the word all the time. Be on guard against it. And lastly, this, I can't say this strong enough. We are in the body of New Hope Chapel. We are in this local assembly. You are not alone. You are running side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ. You are running side by side with people who are placed in this body with spiritual gifts to help the body. Don't think you have to go it alone because you shouldn't go it alone. There are brothers and sisters who want to come alongside of you, want to help you, want to lift you up, and maybe you want to lift others up. Too much isolation going on. Too much me, myself, and I. Too much I'm a Christian, I can do it. Too much I'm walking in the power of God. How about we're walking in the power of God? How about we're children of God? We're Christians. We're in one accord. It's an awesome thing. And when people come to you, listen, it's not always going to be what you want to hear. Because maybe they're going to say something that you're not doing right. But it's not about tearing you down. It's about correcting you because they love you. More powerful together, than separate. Two more gathered, I am in your midst. Amen. So Hebrews 10:23 says this: "Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he has promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I see the day approaching, and I see people becoming in the habit of not meeting. And it's not OK. It's not okay spiritually. Fellowship is part of being prepared spiritually. And you're missing out if you fall into that category. God, it's good. Amen. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, I just pray that today that those that you've pointed things out to, Lord, would react, Lord, in a good and a positive way, Lord, would would run to you, Lord, and not away from you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us as the body of Christ, Lord, that you strengthen our resolve, put us in one accord as we walk forward, Lord, to preach your gospel, Lord. See souls saved, Lord, to follow your word, to love one another as you love us, Lord. Lord, I pray that each person today would be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that they would see the world through your eyes, Lord. I pray that they would stand in the surf and let the wave break over them and not break them. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said, Amen. Praise God. Go with the grace of God. Let's go eat lunch.